1 a.m. here on your community radio station, 89.5 FM, KOP at Columbia. And it is time once again for Community Pulse, the program in which we check in with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman to discuss COVID-related topics, both local and global. Today on the program, schools. We talked a little bit about this on Tuesday's programs. COVID-19 has shut the world's schools. A very concerning statistic is that at least three in four children live in countries where classrooms are closed. Unprecedented is the word that we've been all been using around this time, perhaps diving into the source looking for synonyms for it. But what is the effect on young minds and what is the path forward? For that, we turn to Dr. Elizabeth Allman. How are you doing this morning, doctor? I'm doing great. I mean, as well as I can be doing in these interesting times. Um, And very happy to be um, uh, touching in with my uh, KOPN community, uh, albeit from a distance. Uh, It's an important resource for our community, and I really do value this opportunity every morning. So before we get started with the uh, question of what to do with the children, especially this summer, and then thinking about the fall, um, I want to just quickly run down the numbers. Worldwide, uh, we're over 5 million cases, 5,119,000 cases. With 330,000 deaths um, and 2 million or so people recovering. In the United States, uh, 1,582,000 cases documented with 94,000 deaths so far and 301,000 people recovering. And then um, to go to the Missouri numbers from Matthew Holloway, uh, 11,525 cases in Missouri with 648 uh, deaths. Uh, Boone County is, uh, has 106 cases total and only one death. And the surrounding counties are staying pretty stable as well. Um, Montauk County, I'm sorry, Saline County is up to 260 cases and has one of the highest concentration, has the highest concentration, that is number of cases per capita in the state, and one of the highest in the nation. Buchanan County is up to 562 cases. Down in Boot Hill in the Cape Girardeau area, the cases are continuing to increase, and of course, still increasing in St. Louis as well. Um, so, I am getting lots of questions about what what should we do with the children. Of course, um, uh, we want the best for our children. Um, we are wondering about what's the best way to keep them safe. We don't want them to get sick, um, but we also understand that for many infectious diseases, uh, the children are how the disease spreads through the community and infects um, um, children aren't infecting them, spread virus to adults and, and especially vulnerable people. In addition, there are plenty of people who attend school as students or who teach or help in a school or work in a school who are vulnerable people um, and would be at high risk of having a complication. So there's you know, several questions of like, what should I do with my child for this next season of life? And then there's what should we as a community be doing um, uh, for educating children? And how do we keep our community safe while we do that? Um, And it's a lot to juggle. And um, uh, the CDC document that's come out has um, gotten a lot of really interesting play from the uh, uh, on social media. And I'm just going to say that 
I was thinking I would run down it, but I, I don't really want to um, on the radio because I think it's a somewhat dense document and I think it's not going to translate well to radio. What I'm going to say is if you are seeing something on social media that's a summary of the CDC recommendations and your response is, oh my God, that sounds horrible. Um, I can't imagine sending my children into a situation like that. I would encourage you to click through and find the CDC document. It's pretty easy to find and look at what's actually recommended. Some of the things that are being stated on social media as the way things are going to be are really listed in the CDC document as these are things that could be considered, especially if you have a lot of transmission in the community. Um, and there's sort of a three-level response. Anyway, so I'm just going to say that there are, there's a lot of um, catastrophizing about what the fall is going to look like, and I understand because it's crazy-making. But what's more immediate is what what to do with children this summer, because that's like really right here. And um, Jenny sent me a very helpful article, which I'm just barely getting into, which I think is um, really helpful about finding a framework to decide what to do. And the first thing that this, and I'll send that to you, Peter, so you can post it on uh, on the Facebook page and the website, the KOPN website, but um, is to to frame the question, I think that's really helpful. Like, what are you trying to decide and what are your options? Because often we're trying to think, well, should I send my child back to daycare? Okay. Or should I send my child to summer camp? Okay. What, what is the other option? And is the other option they would stay home with me and we would have a great time? Well, then that would be a different thing <laughs> than oh, I would have to quit my job, that would really markedly change our financial status, um, or I can't quit my job, or they would be a latchkey kid, you know, they would stay home un unsupervised. Once we get a sense about what the realistic options are, it tends to get the question often gets answered pretty quickly there. And then we need to look at what is it that we need or want to do? What are there ways to mitigate the risk? Um, are there, if we've decided to do a thing, what is the safest way to do it? And then um, what, are the, what are the risks? What are the actual risks? So I wanted to remind people that we still don't know. I wish I had answers. I know that lots of people are struggling with this question. But we, there are a few things we're beginning to understand that we think we know. One of them is that outdoor activities seem to be far safer than indoor activities. And um, mask wearing is an issue where we all have strong opinions, but I'm just going to say our data is very limited with regards to, uh, especially with regards to children wearing masks for COVID-19 transmission. Um, we believe that um, singing and shouting seem to be um, activities that increase aerosol and droplet spread and probably increased transmission. So these, we're looking at these super spreader events where one circuit, one event or one person seemed to have infected a lot of people. So places like meatpacking plants, why are they so um, such spreading places? And part of it is that they're loud and they're cold. And so they're, the virus lives longer in the air when it's cold. And when we shout, we make more droplets. Hmm. Um, and children are going to shout. I, I think that trying to get children together and expect them not to shout is 
unreasonable. But there are probably things we do with children that increase the shouting, and there might be ways to get children a little bit more distant before the shouting starts. Um, the other thing is that we think that children are much less likely to get this illness, and we don't know why, although it may have something to do with the fact that they do not express the ACE2 receptor on their cells as much as adults do. And what Jenny pointed out to me when we were talking about this yesterday is that smokers have a higher um, presentation of the ACE2 receptor, and that's where we think the virus gets a, head, a foothold. So we're not seeing as much serious illness in children. Even if we swab children, they seem to be less likely to have it. And now antibody testings are telling us that children are less likely to have antibodies. And all of that points to the children may not be the people who are spreading this in the community. And so when we're when uh, parents are thinking about what they should do with their children, they should be asking questions. And the questions I would be asking is, what are these programs doing to try to mitigate the risk? And the answers I would like to hear is, we're going to have the children outside more. We're going to uh, we've enrolled fewer students, or we're, we've increased the space that they're going to be in. We're going to keep the the doors and windows open when we are inside. We've worked to make sure that children are not passing um, items back and forth while they're eating. They're not going to share water bottles or uh, plates. Um, and if and, and that we're going to do things to try to um, keep them farther apart while we keep them busy. And we're also going to be paying attention to what the adults are doing around children because we think the adults are probably the ones that are actually spreading this. So as the parents or whoever's dropping off the children come together and leave, these may be the real um, concerning places. And also, like, what are the staff doing? These are tricky questions. What are the staff doing in the rest of their lives to mitigate their risk of contracting the virus? Um, so, and, and if the answers are mostly about cleaning surfaces or cleaning buildings or decontaminating or being worried about the food being contaminated, just know that people must are probably being distracted from the key thing. We need to keep our eye on the way this, this virus is spread, and that is primarily through respiratory droplets. So while we, oh, and then we, there should be plenty of resources for hand washing. Um, so that uh, people can, can wash hands. And if there are some surfaces that are high-touch areas where people are going to be touching them uh, right after each other, that those would be places where there'd be decontamination, so um, that you would be wiping uh, surfaces off. And again, if there's a whole lot of talk about how much which chemicals they're using, again, I think we're missing the mark. Soap and water is an adequate, um, uh, adequate for... Uh, cleansing surfaces. Uh, the virus is coated in a fatty capsule and anything that um, decreases fat is going to be helpful. So um, I tried to, you know, I pulled my Facebook resources of what, what parents are thinking about, what they're doing, and the challenges they're coming up against. So um, some families are hiring a nanny and keeping their children sort of in their own little group. Uh, the challenge with that is that um, most people can't, many people cannot afford a nanny. And even if you've hired a nanny, that's a person who has the right to lead their own life outside of work. And so many of these times, these are uh, young adults who have an active social life, which they should be doing 
I'm not trying to say what they should or shouldn't be doing in the time of SARS-CoV, but CoV-2, but those are tricky conversations and um, it's a lot to ask someone to tell them what to do when on their off hours. Um, some people uh, are one family, some people are doing things where they're naturally going to just be more space between children. And again, not everybody can do these things, but one family was going to emphasize a lot of boating and kayaks or canoes. And that is a place where as long as people stay in their boats, there's a it's just naturally space between people while you're having fun without having to police it. Somebody else was going to be doing horseback riding in a particular way so that, again, it's a little hard to get too close to each other when you're riding horses. Um, you know, there's, there are people asking, what about sports? And I, th- those are tricky, but I am sure that there are ways to do drills and exercises where people are being very active but and and learning things, but are not um, coming together so quickly so that maybe you wouldn't be the, doing the huddles and you'd be careful about what was happening if people were in and out of places like locker rooms. Um, yeah, so uh, there, those are the thoughts that I have. I know that, uh, and then there's questions about what's going to happen in the fall, and I'm going to recommend that people start to ponder what possible options are and to explore what they would need to know to make that decision, but to realize that we can't make those decisions that far away. Um, this is a, a rapidly changing um, environment uh, situation, and the context is going to change. Right now we have really low transmission rates in Boone County, uh, but some of the surrounding counties have high transmission rates. And if that were to shift, if we had high transmission rates in Boone County, some things that felt, felt safe at when things were low uh, might not feel safe um, or might not feel worth it. So um, staying flexible is my other recommendation. Well, thank you, Dr. Allman. I, I think it's it's so vitally important to uh, to stress the role of respiratory droplets in transmission uh, and infection uh-huh. here, because that is <clears throat> not to say that disinfection uh, and, and things of that nature aren't important, but that's how we know primarily that this virus uh, transmits. I was interested to know a little bit, you, you touched upon the, um, what was it, the ACE2 receptor? Uh, yeah. And this is something that uh, makes children maybe a little bit more vulnerable to transmission. Can you can you talk about that a little bit more, perhaps? No, we think it makes them less vulnerable. Less vulnerable. To Excuse me. Yes. Yes. I was. Um, and yeah. it also does it make smokers less vulnerable because I, I remember. No, it makes smokers more, more vulnerable because okay. smokers have more of it. Okay. And then I'm just going to tell you, Peter, that I thought, well, what else do we know about these ACE receptors? And I, you know, I spent about. Uh, oh, 45 minutes to an hour this morning, and I am more confused than I was when I started that. So um, <laughs> I have those two data points. <laughs> well, so there's that. There are these three data points. Children seem to, four. Children seem to have fewer serious illnesses. Children seem to have fewer documented cases. Children seem to have fewer antibodies which tells us that somehow children don't seem to be getting it or there's something else weird that we've never, that we aren't typically seeing in a disease like this. So they tend to not, children, especially children under 10, tend to be um, not very well represented in our numbers. Now there is this inflammatory condition that is a Kawasaki-like syndrome where we think it's happening two to four weeks after somebody may have gotten the virus. And this is serious, and um, some children uh, have died. 
but we only we have like a hundred and some cases in the whole United States so far. So while we need to be paying attention and taking this seriously, I don't think that that the that should really be a primary consideration in driving decision making about whether your children should attend a particular program or um, something in the fall. Um, because honestly, we have had Kawasaki syndrome that's also serious from colds and viruses, and people are not using that as a decision-making uh, factor in whether they're going to send their child to a hmm. program. Okay, so the document that, you're, uh, that you've been referring to, and we will, of course, put this up on KOPN's Facebook page, it's called Interim Guidance for Administrators of U.S. K-12 Schools and Child Care Programs, something of a loose uh, blueprint uh, for reopening schools. Uh, the other article that you were referring to that, uh, that Ginny and you were talking about? Um... Yeah, it's called Grandparents and Daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's an economist trying to look at this question and sort of bringing an economist questioning uh, to the whole thing. And the truth is that, you know, the, the introduction helped me a lot. It's like a lot of people think I'm going to give them the answer and I don't have it. I don't either. So um, we are having to make decisions without complete information, which is always the way we make decisions. We cannot make our decisions in retrospect. We have to make them prospectively, and we can't know for sure what's the right thing to do. So we have to make our best well, of course choice. And I will, yeah, I nope. do want to say that that children getting together with their friends and being in learning environments are valuable things. So I. I and and as you pointed in the introduction, depriving children of that also has a cost. Well, yes, we all seem to be stuck in so many cost-benefit analyses uh, with so much at stake these days. <laughs> and uh, I would say, <clears throat> I would add on a personal note that those who insist that they do not have the answers in such times are much, much more trustworthy than those who purport to have some. Uh, that's well. why we're so glad to, to discuss things with you on a daily basis. <laughs> Well, thank you. I, I learned very quickly that it's a very, um, it's a courageous but freeing act to say, well, no, I don't really know. Um, so there's that. So um, tomorrow is Friday, and we have moved um, Community Pulse to four days a week. So I will be missing uh, out on this on Friday, and, and of course, we don't do it on the weekends. So we'll be back on Monday, and I have not um, I don't know exactly what I want to talk about about Monday, but if I could figure out this um, one day when I figure out what I know about the ACE2 inhibit uh, receptor, uh, we'll talk about that. Sounds like uh, a maybe, very intriguing topic. Maybe an update on therapeutics or something, but we'll talk about that on Monday. I'll look forward to talking to you on Monday. Absolutely. And I will look forward okay. to it as well. Uh, we'd okay. like to remind our listeners that you can check out a podcast episode of this on our Facebook page, along with links to the articles that we were discussing. And if you would like to hear something from Dr. Alleman, uh, please, by all means, chime in. We're so very pleased that you were with us here for yet another episode of Community Pulse. Uh, Dr. Alleman actually uh, stated, we will be uh, taking a long weekend, our first long weekend since we began this program. The program will now run Monday through Thursday. So we wish you a safe weekend. Don't forget to wash your hands, touch your face as little as possible, employ social distancing measures. And yes, these are trying times with very, very tough decisions. But do your research and 
we should be able to get through all of this together. That about wraps it up for Community Pulse. Coming up next, we have an abridged version of Background Briefing. We're so very pleased that you're with us here on your community radio station, 89.5 FM, KOPN, Columbia. Diverse talk, in-depth news, and music of the world, all run by volunteers and supported by listeners here in your community, Columbia, Missouri. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you next week.